Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is a podcast for lifelong learners where we learn about anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we're going to be talking with Troy Maxwell. Now, Troy is the senior pastor at Freedom House Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Freedom House may sound familiar to you because we've interviewed a couple of other people from Freedom House. Shout out, Clint. Pugh and Stephen Brewster. Yep, we talked with Stephen about his creative process and I think episode 22, and then we talked with Clint about building and developing teams in episode 29. And so if you want to see some of those conversations, you can hit up our show notes, or if you enjoyed this conversation, check out some of our previous episodes as well. I am excited about this interview, not just because he might be one of the hippest pastors that I follow. But just because whenever I, whenever I've paid, as I paid attention to Freedom House Church, I guess I just see a lot of things happening there that I don't see happening at other churches. Uh, one of the major things that I've noticed is how culturally relevant they are, and so that's one of the big things. Was I wanted to figure out why is that and how does he do it? Like how does now, that person... Todd? What do you mean by culturally relevant? Well, they don't act like you, Caleb. I'm oh. just kidding. Well, one of the things is, like, they, for one, they seem to always be um, up on on the latest stuff whenever it comes to their services and how they, they, they do their stuff within the church, like outreach, all that kind of stuff. The other way is, you know, hey, they're, they're definitely trying to be trendsetters in terms of how they, they deal with staff, like their staff, and who they're hiring and how they're hiring and how they're training and developing. They always just seem to be on top of that and really be, be, be setting trends. The other reason I was really excited to be able um, to, to listen to him was because um, Freedom House Church is, is an incredibly diverse church, and that's one of the big things I was excited to hear about from him was as a as a white um, lead pastor, senior pastor, how how does he manage the tension that, that exists there, especially in our society today with everything that's been going on, and how does he help to create an environment where everyone feels like they have a seat at the table? And so that's I, that's why I was I was thrilled to be able to, to listen and, and, and participate in, in, in talking with him. So we don't want to want to wait any longer. We're going to join our conversation with Troy Maxwell, senior pastor of Freedom House Church, right now. Well, Troy, we're so excited to have you on the Learners Corner podcast today. Yeah, man. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit? Uh, or tell our audience a little bit about yourself and kind of your role at Freedom House Church. Well, I am uh, the senior pastor, um, pioneering pastor of Freedom House. We've been going for about 15 years in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, It's called the Queen City. If you've never been here, you can come visit. Um, We we started Freedom House out of a school and, and just, you know, kind of dug it out of the ground. They call it a parachute plant. So we planted the church because we didn't live here. We actually came from another part of the um, the East Coast. We're from Richmond originally. And so moved here 15 years ago and, and kicked the church off. And my wife and I co-pastored the church. And uh, things are going good. We're having fun. Loving Jesus. We still love Jesus even after these 15 years of so pastoring a, the church. So I have a quick question. In your guys' dress code, at Freedom House, is it like yeah. a requirement for everybody to wear skinny jeans and be like really well dressed? Because we know Clint 
Clint Pugh came on the podcast, <laughs> so did Stephen Brewster. And I'm just saying, like, y'all, everybody wears skinny jeans and is like, looks like they're a model or something. It is a definitely a part of our culture. We will not hire you unless you are physically fit and you look extremely attractive. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, we, uh, uh, I, I hopefully I, I don't, I don't look like I wear skinny jeans, but, uh, <laughs> I've been accused many times. And as you and I both know, all worship leaders have to wear skinny jeans. That is, That's, that is definitely the dress code for them. That is. And, and youth pastors to some extent, though, I have seen the trend moving away from that. They're going to joggers now. Youth pastors wear joggers now. Yeah. They don't wear skinny jeans. It's really weird. That's true. It makes That's me true. feel uncomfortable. It is. And Brewster has his own style. He's his own person. And so I just kind of put up with him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a different guy for sure. So, hey, hey Troy, um, just as we're getting kicked off here, can you tell us a little bit about your training and development process for for, for your staff and for your volunteers? I know we've talked about this with, with Clint a little bit. And, and so he talked about it from the, the worship um, you know, the worship team kind of perspective, but could you kind of shed some light on how you guys kind of view that and go with that as a, as a church as a whole? Sure. Well, we are definitely, our church is built around a volunteer culture, meaning that we are really lean when it comes to staffing. Uh, we just recently did a study and we're about one for every 86 people of our staff. We have about 30 plus um, just over 30 full-time staff, and we do some contracting as well. Um, but we are a volunteer. We believe that serving is the way to your destiny. So we really encourage people to serve their way into ministry, and uh, whether that's a full-time position or a non-full-time position. Uh, we have a pretty strong track when it comes to volunteers. We, we do what's called Get on Track, um, which is connect, grow, serve, and lead. We, we take th- people through that process and then develop them. That way, um, we are a teaching team model church, and so we have three campuses right now, getting ready to start our fourth in a, in about two months. And so we're not a video venue, so there's a lot of training and development when it comes to teachings. So we have 17 people that are part of our teaching team and and develop them. Um, we try to hire from within, meaning that uh, we look at really solid leaders, volunteers, and then bring them into a position on team. Um, we're big time in culture. So because our church is is really, really strong culturally, uh, we, we work a lot on that. Uh, we are relational. And so we spend a lot of time on the person of the staff or volunteer and the heart of that volunteer and then, you know, develop those skills and, and help them with with connections with other churches and and uh internally so can you can you walk us through a little bit i mean you mentioned something about the you know you guys have a teaching more of a teaching pastor model for how you guys do your your campuses what's that relationship look like between you um and the other teaching pastors and and like what is what is the what is the the discipleship or training look like um just if you could just give us a snapshot of that and how you kind of do that with those other with those other people yeah because and you know no model is like the Godsend model for multi-site. We knew we wanted to be multi-site. We knew that we didn't necessarily want to be a video, you know, with me on a screen, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I'm a big leadership developer, so I like to develop people. And so just to give you a snapshot, if you come to one of our services on a weekend, 
you will see probably seven to eight different communicators on the platform. Um, you know, from from service pastors to welcome people to offering to communicator, which would be the teaching team aspect. And so with that in mind, we take people through the process of if, if they have a niche or a desire to communicate for God, then then they would start doing the welcome on a weekend. We would test them out. Um, they may move to a to receiving the offering for us on a weekend. And we provide them with all of the, the information, what, what we want to communicate in the weekend. About three or four, three or four times a year, we do what's called a five on five, and this is you know taking somebody from that position into maybe a teaching team person, and then so they would be uh, the five on five is we give them five minutes, five different people, five minutes on a particular weekend for the whole service, and so so we have five people teach five minutes around a specific topic, training them um, behind the scenes. I I do a lot of developing. Once a month, we meet with the teaching team. We discuss the series that we're going through or getting getting ready to step into, and then I develop them. Um, I'll talk every month on a specific topic around being a good communicator, whether it's you know how to do an altar call, how to prepare a message. Um, we use uh, Preaching Rocket, which is a great tool uh, that has a lot of great information. Um, that, you know, there's a great tool for, for communicators and kind of helps develop them. Uh, they can see some different tools along with that. Um, and then, and then we, we have every Thursday at our church, if you're speaking on that weekend or coming up, or if you're new, you will s- preach your message in front of our, a part of our teaching team and they'll critique you and help you through the development that, you know, you need to change this, you need to think about this. And so we have some pretty seasoned communicators on that team, both staff and volunteers. So some of them are really high level business people, but they love to teach the Bible. And so, so we have them sitting in and, and um, so it's, it's a real team effort, uh, but my wife and I kind of oversee it and then process of development. And so our goal is as we, every time we add a campus, we want to add on two or three different teaching team people communicators and and uh and then we can just kind of move around i preach pretty much every weekend but i don't do more than about two or three services how many just curious how many about how many weekend how many weekends are you preaching is it like 45 is it 30 like what like where do you think you're at with that i'm just curious yeah i try to flow between 36 and 40 gotcha um with the teacher i'll tell you with the teaching team it is so nice uh, to be able to rely and release them. Now that doesn't mean I skip church. I'm still there cheering them on and and being there for them and helping them. And after the services, I'll I'll sit down with them and go, Hey, you know, you may want to change this. This was really good. How you shared this story and how it led into this. And and you know, we we'll sit down and talk about it. And and they're leaning into it. And um, but I mean, you know, it it really frees me up. You know, when I first started the church for the first probably. Uh, 10 or 11 years, man, I was preaching every weekend, sure. four, sometimes five times every weekend, no vacation. And so it's it's nice. It's really nice. I want to go back to something that you said. You said that you also have like volunteer communicators as well. Does the process look the same for them to like getting up on the stage and communicating or does it look different between a staff communicator and a volunteer communicator? Yeah. Yeah. The process is the same. So for a volunteer, and uh, like, for example, we have a guy who is a part of Bank of America. 
Um, and him and his wife, his wife is a stay at home mom. She used to be an attorney, very highly educated. He runs all of the retirement for Bank of America. And so, you know, I've been developing him for probably the last two or three years. We started this teaching team model before we went multi-site because I wanted to train the church to recognize where we were going as a church so they wouldn't be caught off guard when I had somebody else preach other than me. And so we started this when I had four services at one campus. And so I would teach two, somebody else might teach two. And so it's exactly the same process. And we're still morphing it, you know, like we're still working on it and developing it and adding to it and subtracting from it. And, and, uh, but that guy, he has to come in on Thursday. He preaches the message. Um, we try to work around people's schedules and, and just help them because it just makes them better in the long run. And we want the weekends to be just off the chain, whether you're on staff or not. And even on staff people, like my son is on the teaching team. He has to do a run through. <laughs> and so uh, um, the only people that don't have to do one is my wife and I. And the only reason is because we've been doing it for 20 years. And, and so uh, that's the only difference. No, I'm just curious. Can you remember anything specifically that led you to want to focus on like developing people? Because I think, you know, for, for some leaders, that's not a natural thing, you know, especially yeah. when it comes to preaching and everything. I mean, a lot of preachers, it's like, you know, what, I'm going to I'm going to preach 45 to 50 times a year. So is there anything that you remember in your life that led you to want to focus on this development of people? Yeah, good question. You know, my my life purpose is to see other people's potential realized. And so that's kind of my life purpose. So I build everything around my life with that value in mind. And so when I started pastoring the church, I knew um, part of it because of my what I came from and the lack of people development in that particular generation of pastors and leaders, you know, it was kind of the holy man of God kind of idea. I'm the God that listens to the Lord, and then I'm going to tell you. And and um, I just don't think that's the, in my opinion, I don't think that's the Jesus style. And so I feel like that if Jesus can develop 12 God, guys, lose one, and change the world, how much more important is it for me to develop as many people as I can and and help them? release them way beyond, you know, the life of Troy Maxwell. And so I don't think that you can effectively change the future of the church if Jesus doesn't come back in my lifetime without the idea of raising up other people to carry what God's put in your heart and ultimately to do it better than you. You know, Troy, I'm thinking of the person, you know, specifically, you know, like us being in our mid-20s and everything or the person who's, you know, wanting to develop someone, but they're not sure entirely what to do, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's wanting to develop or invest in other people? Um, that's a great question. And uh, I think that, number one, uh, I think that we all should have three relationships in our life. Um, those whom we are looking to, kind of that mentor relationship, those who we look with and those who look to us. And so if you want to develop somebody, you have to, first of all, have those three relationships, meaning that you have somebody that's developing you, <laughs> you know, so 
Um, you have a mentor that's speaking into your life. You have peers that you're walking with on a daily basis. And then, you know, if you want to develop somebody, then you have to invite those people into your life. And you've got to be carrying something, building something worth passing on. Um, you know, not just the ambition of I'm going to develop people for the sake of developing them, but you want to launch them into something greater than themselves, you know, and that's for everybody. You know, a lot of guys in their 20s, man, they're just looking to to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And, you know, us old guys, we just I think that if we can grab a hold of that idea, then um, and it looks I mean, it looks different, I think, with everybody. Um, it, it can be systematized. Absolutely. You can systematize a program and help develop somebody. You can do it organically where you're just spending time, you know, getting people to ask you questions and, and spending time with them on a regular basis. That's the kind of guy I am. You know, I'm, I would say I'm probably 60% organic, 40% systematized. You know, if, if I'm going to help develop somebody, then my first question is, do you trust me? Because I may say some things to you that you don't like that I see in your life. And um, I'm hoping that you'll change them and we'll work together. Um, I'm not perfect. I made mistakes. and I'm going to share my mistakes with you. But also you want you to be hungry. You know, so I'm looking for hungry people, people that are wanting to go to the next level, you know, so that my effort is never more than their effort in learning and growing for themselves, you know. And so uh, so that you know, if, if you're starting, I think those three relationships are key. You look for hungry people. Um, and then you kind of figure out what's the best flow for you. You know, uh, for me, 60% system, I mean, 40% systematized, 60% kind of organic. Let's hang out. Let's talk, draw stuff out of me. Uh, let's ask, let's talk good questions and, and stuff like that. Is that, is that good? Yeah, th that is. So one of the questions that I have coming out of that is, you know, I think for a lot of, you know, maybe younger people or people in their twenties, or even for people who, you know, have never really thought that way before. Um, you know, the idea of having a, of having a mentor at first is scary, but then even finding one is worse. You have any mm -hmm. tips or things that, you know, what should people in, in that spot be a looking for and B, you know, how would you go about doing that? Because I think everybody wants to be mentored by Andy Stanley, but the reality is that's probably not going to happen. So like, what, how do we, how do we go about, you know, getting to that spot where we we're finding these people and, and what should we be looking for? Yeah. You know, for a lot of years. I was mentored by people that I never met. So, you know, with technology nowadays, I mean, I can be mentored by Andy Stanley because, you know, in essence, I can listen to everything he's preaching. I can read everything that he's written. I can listen to every podcast. And, you know, so um, and then I can look for opportunities to get in front of him, you know, and, and just listen from his heart and watch his watch how he handles stuff, you know, to to an extent, you know. Um, so I think with that, and so I did that for a long time, honestly, like I, there was a few guys that I really looked up to and, and really wanted to be like, and so I believe that there's a, a spiritual transfer, you know, that can happen between people. And, and if I want what they're carrying, I'm just going to just dive into everything that they have, even if I may not ever meet them face to face. The great thing is it's amazing how God works is a lot of times when you make that kind of devotion and dedication to being a learner, I've met all those people, you know? So, 
it's been pretty cool to see how I started on this road and, you know, I'm, I'm listening to everything this person has, I'm reading it. And then next thing you know, I'm at a conference and um, I walk down the hallway or I find myself in an elevator and guess who's in there with me? You know, the guy that I've been doing and I would go, Hey man, I've been listening to you for a long time. And, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. One question turns into, Hey, let me give you my phone number. They're giving me their phone number. And next thing you know, I'm calling them and, and spending time with them. And so, um, so I think you can actively do it, you know, don't be weird about it, you know, and, and be stalker S don't get weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but I think that, uh, um, I heard something really cool one time. This guy really wanted to meet with this guy. And uh, and so I think I read this in a book. And he, and so he call, he would call the office all the time going, hey, I want to meet with something. He doesn't have time. He doesn't have time. And so he finally got creative and said, well, um, I know he travels a lot. Um, when is his next trip? And And the guy said, you know, the lady said, his assistant basically said, well, you know, he's leaving to go to such and such a city. And well, when, what plane is he going on? And so he ended up buying a ticket on that plane and bought the seat right next to him because he was that, um, you know, ambitious and wanting to meet this guy. And so he ended up sitting next to the guy and he goes, you know, listen, I, I did this on purpose, intentional, because I wanted to get to know you and learn from you. And so um, I think, you, you know, you just you set out in your heart to to pick a couple people, three people that, that you want to be like. And and then you just aggressively, not weird, not stalker learn what you can. And, and it's amazing how God will open those doors for you. Sure. It really is. So, so I guess as we're, uh, you have something, Caleb? Nope. You, Caleb took a breath guys. Like he wanted to, <laughs> like he wanted to say some profound thought. Um, but I guess one of the things that, that I'm hearing as you're, as you're talking about, you know, developing people and as you're talking about your process, there's a lot of vision casting um, that would have to go into this to make this um, you know, the culture or, or whatever you want to call it. So can you talk to us a little bit about your, maybe your methods for, for casting vision to, to people to, to get them on board with what you're doing? And then how can we kind of, uh, what are some tips that we can use to be able to cast vision better when it pertains to like developing people and creating that type of culture? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of young leaders, vision is, is, could be a little scary, you know, because, you know, you got all this stuff in your heart you want to accomplish and, you know, social media kind of presents you with all what everybody else is doing. And, um, and so I, I think for, for me, uh, I learned how to cast vision from John Maxwell and we're not related, but, uh, I call him uncle John and he's one of those guys, like I followed him for a long time and then I got to meet him and play golf with him, all that cool stuff. So, you know, it's like one of those mentor situations, but you know, he taught me a lot around casting vision um, because he's great at it. And the, I think there's a couple of big things about it, you know, tips wise, like and when I'm when I'm casting vision is I want people to be there with me. So if I'm if I'm talking about a project or something that I'm doing with the church or um, in regards to developing, I want I want to speak, live, breathe to the to the to the point where when you get around me, all you can hear and feel and imagine and think and see with your eyes what it is we're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, casting vision is about getting people to run alongside you towards a goal that they can see 
and have the passion that you have. And the only way that you can do that is creating experiences and um, using words and and um, and spending time with that person to the to the top, you know, to the to the point where they catch it with you. And so um, vision leaks. And so I think the tendency is for young guys is if you say it one time, you think you've done it, man, you got to get sick of saying it before people finally get it. And so uh, I found, you know, in 15 years, if I'm tired of saying it, I need to keep saying it over and over and over again. Um, So repetitive, constantly, constantly, constantly talking about it. So, you know, tips would be create an image, taste, feel, experience where it is we're going together. Uh, Secondly would be that you got to talk about it all the time, like all the time. And, uh, and be real specific. The third thing would be like, you need to make sure that it's, that it's, that it's achievable, but also creates a little bit of a reach for the people around you. And so, um, there's a little bit of a gap between, you know, where we are and where we're going. And it's going to take a supernatural God in order for this to happen. Um, and we all can do it together with God and see it come to pass. Sure. So, yeah. One of the things that I've kind of seen just following your church um, is is that there's been there there. I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume that there's been some vision cast in terms of of how you guys engage culture. Um, you guys are probably one of the most culturally relevant churches that I I see, and and so what I'm curious about is you know what does your decision making process look like? Um, when you guys are, are when you choose to engage um, and not engage culture, and what I mean by engaging and not engaging culture is um, the the light shows, the the fun stuff you guys are doing on on stage versus you know taking it too far, as well as um, you know being being culturally relevant as, but at the same time you know you guys have a message that you're preaching, um, right? So you're you're talking about you know, the gospel. So how do you, how do you, what's your decision-making process when you, for how you choose to engage and then not engage with culture? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I guess, the you know, we spend a lot of time uh, creatively um, on our executive team, um, constantly re-identifying who it is we're trying to reach and um, and Brewster really helped us with this when he came on to kind of put some vocabulary around this. Um, and, you know, because there are a lot of different things. When you think about culture, I think about it. I think about it from what's happening, you know, racially and all that stuff, as well as the Christian, non-Christian world. And you got to kind of navigate all of that stuff together. Um, so so what we did is is. Number, we're real intentional about it, and and so we are very. We don't just haphazardly do it. So we yeah. we realize that that from a from one to twenty, there's like one being atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. To twenty, which would be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, serving, participating in the church. And so what we did is we figured out, all right, where, where do we fit in relationship to as a church and who we want to reach? And we discovered that if you take about, you know, about five numbers, that we would fall between the eight and 12 range. 
So we want to fall, and 10 would be salvation. So one atheist, 10, I get saved, 20 would be fully devoted follower of Christ. So 10 is I got saved. Well, we want to reach people eight and nine, you know, who are on their way to making that decision, and also people 11 and 12 who have made the decision, and we want to help them grow in their relationship with God. And so everything we do, the messaging, the the creativity, uh, what happens on a weekend at whatever campus is built to intentionally reach that 8 to 12 number. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, and so um, so that's how we do it. We don't try to go after the atheists. However, you know, you're going to have 1 to 7 show up every now and then, and you're going to have 13 to 20 show up every now and then. But that's kind of our lane. And and we are we don't try to do too much. We we try to do two or three things really, really well. And then we've built our values around that. Yeah, the way that the way that I've had it communicated to me, too, it's the same thing. It's on a scale, just like what you were talking about. But it's, you know, right. Negative 10 to 10, you know, with zero being, um, you know, having a moment where they realize that they need Christ um, in yeah. their life. Yeah. yeah. So then how do you bring a person from a negative two to a two? I love that. That's that's brilliant. You know, Troy, kind of switching gears a, a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that that I love about your church is that it's a, div- a diverse church, which is really just a passion for us. And so what I wanted to ask you about is, you know, what made you want to pursue diversity, you know, not just amongst, you know, staff, but even in the congregation and kind of what has that process look like? Because diversity, it doesn't happen by accident. It has to be something that you, that you pursue. And so I was just kind of wondering what that looked like for you guys. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you go back to my background, I grew up in the hood, you know, so I didn't really, I never really distinguished a difference between color of skin and where you were from, because I grew up in, an, in a very poor environment. And so most of my friends were minorities. And so so you take that through when I become a Christian, I don't really see things that way. I never have. And um, um doesn't mean I don't have things to learn. And I'm still learning as as uh, a white guy. Um, but when we started our church, we knew from the very, very get go that we would be a multicultural church um, because that's what we came out of. And we didn't know anything different. And so um, you know, there were there were four people that moved three, two people that moved with me from Richmond to Charlotte to help plant the church. You know, our our launch team was my wife, myself and two people, my three kids and my dog. You know, so so that was our launch team. You know, we everybody talks about these big launch teams and you know, like 100 people and money and. I don't know anything about that, man. I, I just went at it pretty, pretty raw. And so, so right from the very beginning, we already had diversity because the girl that was kind of our right-hand person was a Jamaican girl. And, um, and so we actively pursued that diversity by making sure that everybody can see themselves in, ev- in, in every area in the church. So the platform, the staff, the greeters, the ushers. Um, so you, you have to intentionally create diversity. Um, and, and then, you know, when, when you start doing that, people find out about you. They realize, hey, I'm, I'm, 
a minority, I can come to your church and I don't feel like an outcast. I feel like I'm a part of this. And, uh, and it's just always been that way. And so, but we have to make some decisions, sometimes some hard decisions in regards to how we staff. And we have to look at that. You know, people want diversity, but they're not willing to staff it. And so you have to be able to do that. And we are very, very, like you said, we pursue it very hard. Uh, and it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. You know, you're targeted. People don't like it on both sides of the color scale, you know. So, um, but we're doing our best. You know, our, our church is about 40% African-American, 40% white, and 20% other, you know, which would be Asian, Indian, uh, you know. And it, and it should represent your community. You know, if you're in a, uh, an all African-American community, it's going to be difficult to have white people come. Or if you're in an all-white community, it could be difficult to have. So I just think you should, wherever you are, you should represent that community. Can you talk about, you know, some of the some of the challenges that can come with pursuing diversity at times? And when I say diversity, I don't even just mean, you know, just skin color, but even, you know, like bringing like bringing Brewster onto your team or someone who thinks thinks differently. Um, you know, what are the challenges that come with, you know, with diversity and and things like that. And how have you kind of led through those challenges? So, you know, I mean, I have a few friends that are like this. I love conflict. I think <laughs> conflict is like, seriously, I mean, I just like it because that tension of conflict, I believe, is a birthing ground for creativity. And so so I, I really believe that without tension, without conflict, it's very difficult to be creative. It's very difficult to dig deeper into trust. And so if you want diversity, you have to be willing to travel down some very hard conflict roads. So you're going to create some tension on your staff and on your team. You know, if you're just talking about a staff and, and you want to bring different thinkers in there, People don't like change. They don't like tension. They like comfort. And so as a leader, you have to decide, all right, what's more important, the growth or comfort? And honestly, a lot of people just settle for comfort with small growth. And I just don't want that, man. I want to I experience exponential, scalable growth. And so I know that for, for us, you know, I'm sure there are other ways. For us, it means throwing a little bit of a different thinker, a different philosopher that's going to that's going to bring a different vibe, a different feeling to the team and it's going to mess up some stuff. You know, I'm I'm of the I'm of the mentality if it ain't broke break it. And because <laughs> if you can break it and still put it back together, then you know how it runs. And so uh, you know, I don't know if that's if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I think about it. It does. And it actually leads into one of the things that I was curious about, which is, um, you know, when you have, you, you know, you're talking about um, teams and how it's, it's hard for people to be comfortable with that. Well, it also requires teams to be able to be flexible and be able to always be willing, as you said, to break something. Um, so how do you create um, an environment where people, be, where, where people, if they aren't already, all become more open and flexible? And if, and if, if they already are kind of there, how do you help them to get even further outside of their comfort zones? Well, I think it all comes down to one word, and that's trust. You know, you have to you have to be 
a trustworthy leader and you have to create trust on your team. And um, I love what uh, Groeschel says, you know, with regards to his culture is we assume trust and it takes a lot to break it. And so when you go into, you know, on our team, we want the the foundation is we trust each other. And so that means that I'm going to be open and honest with you about how I feel about something. One of our values is throwing the grenade on the table, meaning that that I'm going to I'm going to mess with this uh, and make sure that that we look at this from all the different angles. I mean, I'm going to blow up this idea. I'm not going to I'm not throwing the grenade at you personally, but I am going to throw the grenade on the table. We're going to blow this up idea. And the reason that I can do that is because you trust me, because, you know, I believe in the best for the team was the overarching priority of the organization of the church. And so I'm not attacking you. I'm making sure that we're looking at this from every angle. And so um, when you have that kind of team environment uh, and it's and it's. And it takes time and it, and it requires some hard conversations and and uh, kind of Matthew 18 it. You know, you have to be able to if you said something that bothered me, then don't let it sit, but go after it right away. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to make sure that there's no undercurrents between you and I, because if we find ourselves in this position again, I don't want to process this whole thing again through what happened the last time. Uh, and so. Um, those are the challenges, and that's how we lead them through it, and that's how the the environment looks for us. And um, I wish it worked as good as it. I just explained it. Sometimes it doesn't work that good, <laughs> but you know, but it, but it, you know, we just talk. We 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 dig into relationally each other's world. One of the things I think also that Craig Rochelle says is, you know, because ultimately, you know, the reason why we want to create those environments is because we want the best idea to always win. So, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. So we've, yeah. we've kind of talked about some of the challenges of diversity. What have you seen to be some of the benefits that have come with, you know, pursuing diversity? Well, I mean, just if you think about, let's just use Stephen Brewster for a second. You know, um, he's a great friend. He's a national guy, um, but he does think differently. And but I love it. And so what it does on for your team is when a leader like that comes on your team and uh, it challenges the status quo like it really puts a challenge out there for people and so when you bring that diversity and you have somebody that thinks a little bit outside the box uh or you know let's just use the 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 skin color for a second when you have somebody that's been raised culturally different than you then you're if you really want to work together then you have to learn what it feels like to be in their skin and uh, and walk things out with them and be willing to change, you know, how you see things and maybe identify some some biases that you may have developed over time because you've been absent from a specific type of culture. And so um, the benefits are, man, it just helps you grow. You, you become a better leader. You become a better friend. Uh, you become a better mentor. You become a better pastor. I mean, it just everything about it helps you, helps you, you know, mixes you up. So we've talked a lot about diversity and, and the benefits and challenges that come with it being on a staff. Why is it important that we pursue it within our church congregations as well? Well, I believe that our country 
you know, if we're talking about just overall people culturally, you know, America is an incredible country because there's just so many different people. You know, I just went to New York recently and man, in one store, I heard like six different languages. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and so I think when it comes to the church, I think the future and reaching millennials, millennials love diversity. And um, I was talking to uh, a guy who's uh, in our church and he's 27, 26, 27 years old. And, and, you know, I always ask, hey, why did you decide to come to Freedom House? And he said, you know, because when I walked through the doors of the church, I saw all different kinds of people and I'm comfortable with that. And so I think it's more uncomfortable when we have no diversity and the generation that's coming, the millennials feel way more comfortable with diversity. And so if you want to grow with the times and not become irrelevant, then you need to pursue diversity. And, um, and so it's, you know, dealing with all the challenges, but that's, that's, our, that's the next generation. That's the next generation. You know, Troy, just as we're getting ready to wrap up here, we always have a couple of questions that we'd love to ask, you know, every guest. And the first one is, you know, what's one decision that you've made recently that has made a significant impact in either improving your life or your leadership or something along those lines? One decision. That's a hard question. That's why um, we ask it. That's why we said, yeah, that's no, why we said one tough. decision recently, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, recently. Um, recently, what is one decision that I've made recently that has impacted um, a significant impact? Because I made a few decisions. I think um, the, the most recent decision would be be something that we did that we took a risk on. You know, just it was an outreach that we did where we invested a bunch of money into 400 bikes and gave them away to the community. It was just cool. Like it was a cool thing that happened and we'd never done anything like that. And so, but it was risky because we didn't know how we were going to pick the people to get the bikes. And, you know, we'd never done anything like that, you know, and it's a pretty significant investment. You know, is it going to work? What if it doesn't work? Um, how's the church going to receive this? And so that was one, one big decision. And, I, and for me, I remember when I got my first bike. And so as a kid, I mean, you remember when you first got your first bike, man, you were excited. I'm, I'm sure you can remember. And so I remember when I got my first bike. I, I, grew, up so, in, I grew up in the country, so it was a four-wheeler for me, but I'm, I'm feeling what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So whatever works for you. But, you know, it's just like when you get that first thing, man, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So anyway, that, I think that was one. That's the first thing that comes to my, okay. to my head. Next thing we want to ask you is how do you go about – like learning something like what does your learning process look like so um i'm a pretty big reader i like to read a lot and i think for me the best way for me personally to learn something is immediately when i feel like i have an understanding of something i go and teach somebody that concept mm. you know so and that solidifies it for me and for two things, you know, first of all, if I can explain it well enough that they get it, and then if I can get them to start to do it, it brings some significance. And so that helps me to learn it right away. Sure. Then one final question that we love to ask is, what are you learning right now, Troy? Um, you know, you talked a lot about the diversity on the staff and everything. Is That's a big deal. So 
for us as a church, we have finally settled into an executive team model as a church. And there's a lot of different dynamics when you have when when basically all the decisions were coming through you and your wife, and now you have a team of eight people that you're wanting to release those all of those decisions to, so you can focus on some thirty thousand foot level decisions. And so I'm learning to empower more. I'm learning to risk more. I'm learning to let some of them let them fail a little bit more. And uh, and that's hard. Like it's really hard. It's really hard. Because, you know, you, this is your baby. You know, I spent 15 years building this church, and now it's like I'm going to give you complete and total control and access to this and and trust that you're going to treat it the same way that I would, or hopefully you'll treat it just as good. <laughs> sure. You know, Troy, if people want to, you know, learn from you or connect with you, you know, how can they best do that? Yeah, so, you know, I'm on all Instagram, Troy Maxwell, Troy A. Maxwell on Twitter. Um, I'm not a big Facebook guy, but um, I am on Facebook. I think I have a profile on there. Yeah, if you have questions, you can email me at pastort at freedomhouse.cc, pastort at freedomhouse.cc. And, uh, you know, we're here. Our church is here to serve any way we can. Uh, I do. We do a couple things during the year. I do a big huddle in the fall where we invite churches from around the country to come in and learn from us and, and, uh, and do some training there. And, but you know, however we can serve you, man, we're here for you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Caleb, what was something that you learned from our, our interview with Troy Maxwell? One of the things that I learned was just his approach to conflict and his perspective Oh yeah. on that. You know, one of the statements that he made that really stuck out to me, was conflict is where creativity begins. Yeah. And it's where, you know, whenever we're 100% honest with um, ourselves and with our perspectives, whenever we lay it out there all on the table, that's where we, we truly become creative because I believe that we're doing, we're being our true selves. And then the other thing he talked about is just like throwing the grenade on the table mm. and that being one of their cultural values of, you know, being willing to, um, to bring up conflict, to being willing to be true about your perspectives instead of just just hiding them or overlooking them, which honestly tends to be the tendency yep. in not just in a lot of churches, but I would say even in, in a lot of businesses. And if you want to be successful, if you want to be on the cutting edge of creativity, you have to be willing to have conflict. And the thing that's interesting about the grenade is it's also dangerous for the person throwing it. Um, but it's something that just still has to be done to be able to move things forward. That's that's interesting. I think the thing that I really focused on from that interview was um, just this idea that he talked about of having three people that you're praying about. So the first one being a person to, who, who can be a mentor who you can look up to. Uh, the second one being a peer, somebody who you can kind of do life with and, and like um, be able to be on the same level with. And then, and then the third one is somebody who you can mentor. And I think that that's, that's interesting because when we think about developing people, uh, whether that's professionally developing them, right, so they're at work or whatever, or if we think about it, if we want to go into a spiritual sense of just having somebody who we're discipling and, and, and working with and, and, and helping to lead them um, into a deeper relationship with Jesus, like, I, I think that both, that, that is so important. And, and the thing is, is, I don't think we think about that. I know I don't. Um, and that intentionally, um, 
uh, of what that looks like. And so when he said it that way, it really clicked in my brain. And so I, I just loved, I loved that, that thought he had. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great conversation with Troy. And so the best way, if you enjoyed this conversation, the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of our future episodes is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player that you use, whether it's TuneIn Radio, I personally use Overcast, or um, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, or Google Play, whatever it may be. The best way to make sure that you don't miss our new episodes is by subscribing to the podcast, especially all throughout this month. Remember, we're releasing two episodes throughout the entire month of January, two episodes a week throughout the entire month of January. And so the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of those episodes is by subscribing to our podcast on your podcast player. Now, if you've learned something from this podcast, whether it be from, you know, something from Troy or from a previous podcast, we would love for you to leave us a rating and write a review of the podcast specifically on iTunes because iTunes is pretty much the biggest podcast player out there and it gets the most traction and everything. And the more you rate the podcast, the greater our, um, reach. our, our reach continues to expand. And so we appreciate it a ton. You know, let us know how we can continue to grow. Let us know about some of the topics or future guests that you would love to see on the podcast as well. If you want to follow us during the week, you know, you can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook as well. That's where we're at for all of our social platforms. At me. At me. And Todd is always looking for some Instagram love too. So follow Todd on Instagram on so, or social media. Or Twitter. Otherwise, he m- might be in trouble. He might not be able to make it through to the next podcast if you don't <laughs> follow him on any of his social media platforms. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Keep growing.